Hey everyone, this is Dave Debo with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from beautiful Los Angeles, California, we've got an Airbnb specialist, investor, trainer, coach, you name it, Mr. Jorge Contreras. How are you doing today, Jorge? I'm doing great, Dave. It's an honor to be here in your podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So, Jorge, as we are recording this, we're kind of in the midst of this whole COVID thing. Things are opening up a bit. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave. You know, nobody knows what the hell's going on. But one thing we do know is that it sure took, tourism sure took a kick in for quite a while. How has this affected Airbnb from your standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. So definitely the first couple of weeks in March, was a little bit of a challenge because I believe everyone experienced like a shock of what was going on and how fast it happened. And I think that in all of 2019, whenever we would talk about the economy and the next correction and the real estate market, we all, I always mentioned how by the time it happens, it's too late, right? Yeah. And so it's like this floor, this rug gets slipped right underneath your feet. And this this and was even faster than pretty much anything else we've ever yeah. experienced. I think. It, was like, it was like quicksand. It's like, oh, yeah, you guys stay home and you're going to be home for like this long. And then they extend it. And it was by the time it happened, it was too late to make any adjustments. What I will say is a lot of it, I would say, even though a lot of people have been negatively impacted in certain ways, I will say that most of what dictates at least my experience is always where my mindset is. And so for me, most of the pandemic, there's certain things that are just inevitable and that you can change. And then there's a lot that we can change. So most of the pandemic for me is right here. And so as the, the rug got slipped from our underneath our feet, first thing we said is great. How, well, not great, but how do we pivot? How do we make adjustments? Yeah. How do we bring more eyes to our short-term rental portfolio? And so we started marketing our properties on websites that market to corporate housing and nurses who are traveling for work for COVID to work at hospitals. We also started bringing down the pricing where we started to attract locals who were living, for example, say near downtown LA in tiny little apartment spaces where they had no social distancing if they were going down the elevator or something and they wanted to rent a single family home with some space. So between the staycationers, the corporate housing and the nurses, we actually made, we made less money, a lot less money, but we were still making some small profit cash flow margins every single month, even during the worst months of March and April. And now moving forward, we're going to be in a much better position to really take this business to the next level, thanks to the pivoting. That is so smart, my friend. So that that's awesome. So because <laughs> I think a lot of people in that space just kind of went, ah, and kind of froze and panicked and didn't do a hell of a lot of anything. You You guys got very, very proactive, dropped the prices, focused on a completely different niche, you know took things in a completely different direction, perhaps even instead of just short-term stays, looking at medium-type term stays, looking at different local clientele. Really, really interesting. I was, it was interesting. I was just talking with another Airbnb specialist, believe it or not, interviewed her earlier today. <laughs> and really cool because you're, you're based in LA. She's based 
in Tennessee and in smaller areas. And she was talking about her focus is on regional local tourism areas where people can drive there. So she, her, her client base beforehand wasn't so much people flying in, that sort of thing. It was more locals. And then same idea. She found that it, it didn't get affected nearly as much because she focused on the local market. So very cool that you pivoted and you're focusing on the local market and healthcare providers and super local people that don't want to be in an apartment building. They want to be able to social distance. So that's yeah. off to you. That's cool. That's cool to hear how you pivoted. So before we started recording, you've been doing Airbnb for, for a while now, quite some time now. And you told me that there are basically three different strategies when it comes to Airbnb, and you've got experience with all three of them. Can you just briefly tell us what each one of those three is, and and then maybe we can dive in a little bit deeper? So the first strategy is when you're buying property, pretty self-explanatory, right? You buy property, you put short-term rental strategy. And then the second one is subleasing, the arbitrage side. It's where you rent a property for a fixed monthly rent. You put it on Airbnb and then the spread between what you pay and what you make is your profit. And the third and final is co-hosting. It'd be like sort of like management. We call it co-hosting. So imagine, Dave, that you have a short-term rental, but you're busy running all of your other businesses. You bring me in to take care of the operations, coordinate the cleaning, maintenance, communication, and you pay me like say 20 or 25% of the gross revenue. And that's what co-hosting is. Very, very cool. So- the first one that you talked about, you know, yeah, I, I know a lot of people that have taken properties that they own as regular rentals. They decided to supercharge the cash flow by turning that into a furnished short-term rental property instead. They've done amazing things with that. The other option is, hey, why buy the property, rent it, and sublease it as it were as a short-term rental type property. So all you really need to bring to the table is the furniture and the marketing. And then yep. the third one is find somebody who's not very, who's already got one, but it's not very good at it or doesn't have much, much time to manage it and partner with them. And you, you have to come out of pocket, nothing, but you share in the profits because you're the, you're the manager, right? All right. Can you, what are, what are the pros and cons in your mind? Because you've got experience with all three of them. What, what do you, I know, cause you teach and you, you coach around this. What do you recommend for most people? I recommend the first and the third strategy today and moving forward. So you, I believe that co-hosting is a great way to get your feet wet. You also learn the management, the marketing, the customer service. It's a great way for people that want to get into real estate investing, but don't have a ton of money, like 20 or a hundred grand for down payments. You can get in with no money as long as you learn how to do it. And then buying, because that's where you create the generational wealth, the legacy. That's where you're going to create, you know, just a whole other level of wealth. So co-hosting for those getting started, once you're ready to invest higher amounts of capital, of course, buying and holding real estate. Makes sense. Why do you not prefer the middle strategy of Great renting question. and sub-renting, sub-leasing and uh, sub It's funny because all of last year, I kept saying that if at any point there was any drastic changes, Anybody with a lot of subleases would now have a bunch of money out there tied up in furniture <laughs> and in deposits, and you're staring at that guy. So I got to experience firsthand, and we were thinking about this even before COVID, but we weren't 
you know, going to be making any changes because we have these 12 month leases. So as an investor, right, we always look at how can I make the most amount of money with the least amount of risk and least amount of money invested co-hosting. You just can't go wrong. And with subleasing your money, just like when you buy a property, right? When you buy an investment properties, the banks want you to put more money, more skin in the game because you're more likely to walk away from that property than when you live in. Well, same thing with subleasing, it's just more capital intensive. You may have to furnish the whole thing. So now that I've done all of them and I currently have properties on all three strategies, co-hosting for someone that's getting started with little capital and buying for someone who's ready to create wealth. And I would not recommend subleasing today. Okay, so I kind of get it, but maybe I, Maybe I'm missing something. So that to me, the subleasing seems advantageous as well because basically, you know, say you have to put, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're subleasing, typically you're putting up, you know, maybe a damage deposit first month's rent or last month's rent, fairly inexpensive, especially compared to buying a place. You're out of pocket creating, you know, buying the furnishings. But what's what's the worst case scenario if if a deal goes sideways in a subleasing situation? It's really not that bad. So I'll give you an example. Imagine you have a property and say you spend two thousand for the deposit, so that's until the end of the lease term, and say you spend ten thousand in furniture, appliances, just twelve grand in total. And say four months either they change the ordinance. And now you can't Airbnb, you could put a long-term tenant for the remainder of the lease, get your deposit. Now it's just your $10,000 of furniture that's tied up and you either have to move it to a next one or sell it. And so I believe that by the time you make your investment back from the furniture, if you just co-hosted, you could make virtually the same amount because there's no skin in the game and you have no risk. So it doesn't matter what happened. If the Corona happened, it's like... And you walk away and that's it. But with co-hosting, it's now you got to figure out how to sell this at a discount and coordinate. And then people with doing weird sleazy stuff online that want to buy. And it's just, I feel that as an entrepreneur, when your time is very valuable, you don't want to spend time going on these websites, trying to sell a bed and the mattress. Like you lose so much time in that process. And it's so tedious yeah. It's just not worth it in my experience. Yeah, that would make sense. So how, in your experience, because you've not only done it yourself, but you're around a lot of other people that are doing this, how often does that happen where they, you know, let's say your your condo association or the building or whatever changes the rules and said, hey, Airbnb is not allowed here anymore. Does that yeah. happen quite often? Yeah, the first thing is that we actually, personally, all my, my clients and myself, we don't have any properties that have a homeowners association just because in my experience 95 percent of hoa communities don't allow it right off the bat yeah because everyone has a say on it and when you have your kids and you guys are all sharing the park and you don't know what men or women are going to be there and stuff so we stick to single family residences with you know just have more privacy i think there's also a bigger spread of opportunity as well so we stick to single family residences for the short-term rental. And the good thing is most cities I've seen that whenever they change an ordinance, they'll give you like a six or 12 month notice. 
However, I have seen a few that said, oh, effective as of this email. <laughs> and so I think that's why also with the co-hosting, your risk is just very diversified where you're not going to lose really anything because you don't have any skin in the game. And so if you diversify, which is what I always tell my clients, hey, get one Airbnb in every different city. So we have like 15 spread across nine different cities. And that is really good. So basically you're talking about if a city comes down and says, hey, overnight or municipality or whatever, overnight Airbnb is not allowed anymore. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't aware that that could happen like that. I've seen it like twice in my three years of doing Airbnb. Wow. That's, that is scary. And they can do that overnight. That is. Yeah. And that's why when you look at how much skin you have in the game, if something was to happen and the only thing that's constant is change, you just never know. Man, buying, co-hosting is just really the way to go. Well, wouldn't buying, wouldn't that put you at risk as well? Because if, if you're buying in an area that overnight changes the rules, you're screwed too, aren't you? Yeah. So I always tell my clients, we never buy a property if it only pencils in with Airbnb. <laughs> so you got to have multiple cash flow strategies that work and Airbnb is like a cherry on top because you never so in those cases, when they the couple of times that you have seen where they change the rules like that, is it still permittable to have, let's say, a longer term furnished rental? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you could put a longer term or as usually it's as long as it's 30 days or more for the rental term, then it's no longer considered short term. Short term is usually less than 30 days. Nice. So there's even companies out there that do like short-term, long-term. It's they only book people in 30-day or more increments. Yeah, I've got a client who does that. He's got, my God, he's got like 200 rooms he's doing that with right now. Yeah, so yeah, that's a, that's a good plan B, that's for sure. Well, that's awesome, Jorge. Hey, well, thank you very much for kind of shining the light on things and sharing your experience and especially in these weird times because, you know, this is really the litmus test for a lot of people, for a lot of strategies. And I'm very impressed how you pivoted. Obviously not as profitable as pre-COVID, but as long as, you know, at least for the, the short term, you're able to keep the lights on and cover the bills. That's a win in my mind. So hats okay. off to you for that. Yeah. yeah. And then the whole idea, yeah, the whole idea of co-hosting, you've got virtually zero risk in that, you know, it's it's bringing your skill set and your work to the table, but you don't have to put any cash up. So that's a smart idea as well. It's worked out fairly well. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, what should they do? All right. They can follow me on Instagram, the Jorge Contreras, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Very good. Thank you very much, my friend. Nice to meet you. Appreciate it, David. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We very, very much appreciate it. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at Investor Attraction Demo. Dot com. Take care.